Thanks, everyone, for being back uh, tonight. And um, as you uh, all got a piece of paper, that was a little bit, it looks like a bunch of uh, scribbles. We're going to talk about that tonight. Um, and hopefully you've got a pencil you can take some notes with. This is a um, sermon by request, of, uh, a request of wanting to know a little bit more about what happens after we die. Uh, so we'll look at that this Sunday. Lord willing, we have another request next Sunday that I want to look at, and that is the significance of various numbers in the Bible. So next Sunday night, I'd like to talk about that. And if you have a request of something you'd like to uh, study in more detail, let me know. We can consider that in the future as well. But tonight, the question about what happens when we die, when this life is over. And this is an old chart uh, that has been around in a lot of different flavors. And those of you who have uh, been around for a while have probably seen a version of this or maybe even this same chart. Uh, tonight, let's look at it as we try to get an understanding about what happens when we die. Now, before we get started, we need to be clear that we don't know everything about what happens when we die. The Bible hasn't told us everything. And so we have to be careful about uh, trying to figure out things that haven't been revealed, but we can know some of the things that God has chosen for us to know about what happens when we die. And so we start tonight with uh, before you can die, you have to live. And so let's talk about life. And we enter this life through birth. And so you might write birth there in the, uh, in the arrow. We're all born. Everyone that's here tonight has been born. Uh, when you're born as an infant, the Bible is very clear on the fact that you're born innocent. Now, a lot of people in the religious world today teach us that infants are born sinful and that they inherit the sin that goes all the way back to Adam. And that's why many denominations today practice infant baptism. That is because if your baby is born and your baby's a sinner... In years past, thankfully more prevalent than today, but it still happens today, unfortunately, there are infants who die. Maybe dying and going. Uh, mom and dad didn't want to think about their little baby dying and going to hell because they were born in sin. And so something needed to be done and needed to be done very soon after their birth. And so we have the practice of infant baptism. That's not supported in the Bible. And it's not necessary because babies are born innocent. And then, going even a step further, uh, Catholics created the doctrine of limbo. So if a baby was born and it died before it could be baptized, they said, well, don't think about your infant going to hell. They go to a place called limbo. And you won't find that word anywhere in the Bible. And it's not a game that you play on roller skates. Uh, this is a, a state where babies go that... Um, that had not been baptized yet. But let's look at what the Bible says about that. I hope you can read that. Matthew 18, verse 3. Matthew 18, verse 3. I'm going to put it on the screen. Jesus said, Verily I say to you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, We need to become as little children. Now, if little children are born sinful and wicked, and um, there, folks have said that believe this doctrine, there are no redeeming qualities in a baby or an infant. When a baby cries and demands that it be fed, that is his sinful nature coming out, it is wickedness and, 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 and all this kind of nonsense. Jesus said we need to be like the little children. If little children are born sinful, 
Why would Jesus say be like them? Instead, they are born innocent and pure. In Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, attacks this idea that we would inherit our forefathers' sins, that many in the religious world today are teaching that you, you inherit Adam's sins. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. And so, we have, we're born as infants, we are innocent. Matthew 18, verse 3, Ezekiel 18, verse 20. And then you might draw a little squiggly line underneath the infants across there. Uh, as we start to look at what happens as we live. We're all innocent or in a right relationship with God, but we fall from that. And you might draw uh, an arrow going down there to show that we have, we have committed sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 teaches this. Romans 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3, verse 23. So we were born innocent as infants. We commit sin uh, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And now going, we go from a, a place where we're in a right relationship with God now to a place that we are uh, at odds with God, at opposition with God. But thankfully, as a result of God's grace, we don't have to stay in that condition. God has given us the opportunity to enter His church or His kingdom. And we enter that through what we call the plan of salvation. And we know the, the, the steps in that that God has laid out. This is not a man-made formula or uh, devising of man. This is what God says one must do in order to be saved. And we can look at all the passages that talk about what we need to do. And we put them together and we come up with this picture of what God expects. He expects us to hear. And you might put that little stair step in there. Hear. Here, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We have to believe, you put a B there for belief. Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We need to repent of our sins. Once we hear the word and we believe it, we can't keep living like we were living before. We have to repent, we have to change. And you can put an R there to represent repenting. Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, verse 3, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I have to hear. I have to believe. Some people cut it off right there and say, you can keep living how you were living before. If you were a fornicator before, just keep on fornicating. If you were a thief before, just keep on thieving. You can do whatever you want to do. But no, Jesus said you have to repent. We have to confess. Romans chapter 10, verse 10, with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. Romans 10, verse 10 says... And then we need to be baptized, but to be there for baptism. Mark 16, verse 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And when we do that, when we enter his dear sin, we are transferred into the king, uh, the, translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Put Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 down there. Colossians 1, verse 13. We're now translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Colossians 1, verse 13 says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So we were in the power of darkness. We were down here. He has now translated us into the, uh, out of that power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, the kingdom of God. 
So we were born innocent. We sin. We come short of the glory of God. God, through his grace, has provided us a way to enter the church to be in a right relationship with him once more. And it tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, what we need to do once we are in that kingdom. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so, as a result of living like we should after we become Christians, it says there in 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-11, through 11, if we will remain faithful, if we live as we should, then we have the opportunity to, uh, to uh, have a hope of heaven when we die. But many would teach us that once you're saved, then you're, you're in that position. You're stuck. If you're saved, you're always saved. Once saved, or two. Nothing you can do to fall. We need to put in this uh, box here, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. And then you can put a couple arrows going down now because we have, we're, again, drawing a distinction here. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 and tw through 22, notice this. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it happened to them, it has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. And so back to... Uh, Back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. They've escaped the pollutions of the world. They've, they came out of them, and now they're entangled again. Here we are. We've got, we're in the pollutions of the world. We've escaped into the kingdom of God, and now we have become entangled again. It says that we fall away there, uh, and we are now in a relationship that's not what it should be with God. And so... In our box here that represents our life, we're born as innocent infants. We sin and we fall away from that, that relationship with God. That relationship is tarnished. We are in sin. God has provided through His grace a way to escape the pollutions of the world and enter the kingdom of God. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, we need to live as we should and grow so that we can have an opportunity to be with God in heaven. But it is possible for us to live in such a way that we could be lost. Second Peter chapter 2, what will come to everyone who is alive, and that is death. We can die, as we mentioned, as an infant or as, uh, uh, as a child who has not yet learned right and wrong and not uh, learned and understood how they ought to live and don't have the capability of understanding that, we can die. And that person dies and would be in a right, right relationship with God. We can die as a member of uh, the church in good standing, one who's in a right relationship with God. 
Or we could die as one who's fallen away, who had escaped but has become entangled again therein. Or we could die as one who never obeyed the gospel, never responded uh, to the gospel, and lived a life in rebellion to God. Those are the four ways that we can die. And when we die, our body then goes to the grave or to the tomb. James chapter 2, verses 26, uh, and then Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, we read about that. And so you might put the physical body there, and you might put James 2, 26, and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. We'll look at those here together. So the physical body dies. It goes to the grave or to the tomb. James 2, 26, and Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7 talk about this. Lots of good writing going on. When I when, might give your hand just a minute to rest. James 2, 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. This is a passage talking about our faith, but it tells us what death is. Death is a separation. And for our physical bodies, death is a separation of the spirit from the body. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, enumerates and expands upon this idea of the spirit and the body being separated. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. So at death, the spirit, or our soul, separates from the body. The body turns to dust, goes to the tomb, and the spirit goes to God who gave it. Now... When the spirit separates from the body, where does the spirit go? And to get an understanding of that, we need to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 16. And the spirit goes to Hades. It goes to either one of two places, to paradise or to torments. Turn with your, me in your Bibles to Luke, chapter 16. Let's begin reading at verse 19. Luke 16, beginning at verse 19. This is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Some refer to it as a parable. It doesn't have the same marks as most of Jesus' parables. Uh, I don't think it makes a whole lot of difference one way or the other, but I do believe it is a story. There are some of our religious friends, namely the Jehovah's Witnesses, who do not believe that your spirit lives on after death, and they uh, demand that this must be a parable. But it, it doesn't do any good to make it a parable because if it's a parable, Jesus is basing this on something that's just all make-believe and it wouldn't, it wouldn't have any meaning. I believe it's a story. For one, there's a man named by name. And parables, Jesus' parables didn't name someone by name. This has the attributes of a, of a, a real-life scenario. In Luke chapter 16, beginning verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, 
Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from, here, uh, from, those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, that they also, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. And so we see from this story the idea of Hades being a place of paradise and torments. It's where the dead go. The rich man went to torments. Lazarus went to paradise or to Abraham's bosom in Hades. It says that, that, they, that he was in Hades. And there was this great gulf fixed. Look at Luke chapter 22, and you write Luke 22, verse 43, under paradise there. This is where Jesus went when he died on the cross. This is where the thief joined him who had faith and asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom. In Luke 23, verse 43, Jesus said unto the thief on the cross, Verily I say to thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus says that he was going to paradise that day and that the thief on the cross was going to join him. Well, where did he go? He went to Hades, and we're going to see in Acts chapter 2 how that occurred with Jesus. We know Jesus went to Hades when he died. So there is a place in Hades called Paradise. It's referred to in the story of the rich man and Lazarus at Abraham's bosom. Jesus says that the thief on the cross was going to go there. Again, it was mentioned as Abraham's bosom in the, in the account of the rich man and Lazarus. We looked at Luke chapter 16, verse 23 already that it called it that. So we have in that top part of the circle, Luke 23, 43, Abraham's bosom, Luke 16, verse 23. Torments is mentioned in Luke 16, 23 and 24 that we read. You might write Luke 16, 23 and 24 underneath there, underneath torments. And as you're writing in that circle, you might write in that line across the middle, the great gulf, Luke 16, verse 26. So that if you go to Abraham's bosom, you can't go to torments. If you go to torments, you can't go to Abraham's bosom. There's this great gulf. That combats the idea of um, purgatory that the Catholics would have, that if you're bad, but maybe not really, really bad, you go to this place where it's not good, but you can get out of it and you can change your eternal destiny in purgatory. That's not supported. This idea of the great gulf would mean that when you, go, when you die, your fate is sealed. Now, I mentioned that Jesus, when he died, he did not go to heaven immediately. He went to Hades, where he said that the thief on the cross would join him. There are several verses that we can string together to get a picture of what happened to Jesus when he died. In John chapter 20, verse 17, look at John chapter 7, 20, verse 17. John 20, 17. And you might just write this underneath uh, that circle or somewhere on your notes to get a picture of what happened to Jesus, and that helps us to understand a little bit more about this Hadean realm. In John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to her, Touch me not, this is after Jesus' resurrection, 
Jesus said, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascended to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. After Jesus had died and risen from the dead, he says, I haven't ascended to my Father yet. In other words, he hadn't gone to heaven yet. Where had he gone? Acts chapter 2, verse 27 tells us where he went. Acts 2, verse 27 says, but, that, but this, this is um, uh, it's talking about Jesus in Acts 2, verse 27. Because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, nor wilt thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. That's the King James Version of Acts 2, verse 27. In other versions, uh, you'll notice that it doesn't say hell there. It says Hades. You will not leave my soul in Hades. That's the Greek word. The King James Version translates that word hell. It should be Hades in Acts chapter 2, verse 27. For you will not leave uh, my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. So Jesus went to Hades. He went to Hades. He wasn't left in Hades. In fact, he wasn't left in Hades long enough for his body to begin to decay. He was only there for three days. And so he was there in Hades. That again should be Hades. And he was not left there. In Acts chapter 2, verse 31. In Acts chapter 2, verse 31, write this underneath that circle as well. Acts 2, 31, this is David speaking of Jesus. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, neither did his flesh see corruption. Jesus, when he died, he went to Hades. He went to the good part of Hades. He went to paradise with the thief on the cross. But Jesus wasn't left there. He rose from the dead. And after this, in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, we read about Jesus being raised from the dead, and or after he was raised from the dead, that he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven... As he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall go in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus, when he ascended after he was here on earth for 40 days, he ascended to heaven. And so that gives us a better picture, and it verifies what we're talking about here when we talk about after we die, going to Hades. So Hades has, again, a place of paradise, a great gulf, and a place of torments. All right. None of us will stay in Hades forever, though. There will come a time when we're raised from the dead at the final judgment. And that is, we can write underneath there, resurrection. And we'll write a couple verses there. We'll write John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29, and 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 52 and 53. So there will come a time when we're raised. Just as Jesus was raised and his soul came out of Hades, we will be raised. Our souls will be brought out of Hades. Look at John 5, verses 28 and 29, 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53. John 5, 28 and 29. John 5, 28 and 29 says, Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And so, at that final judgment, we're going to come forth out of Hades. Those who have done good 
unto the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 52 and 53 talk about this as well. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, for we shall be cha- and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortality must put on immortality. And so at that last trump, at the final day, on the day of judgment, the soul will come out of Hades from the dead. The body will come out of the tomb, and the soul will come out of Hades. Now, how that looks and how that happens, we don't know. That's about all we know about it. What's our body going to be like? We don't know. We know it's going to be incorruptible. It's going to be different. That's about all we know. But we do know that we'll come out of the grave and that we will be brought out of Hades. All right? And then there will be a judgment. There will be a judgment. You put judgment now in that box, that vertical box there. Judgment will be judged. And we will either go to one of two places to heaven or to hell. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us about that judgment. Right? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10 above judgment there. As we get a picture about what will happen on that last day. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so there will be this final judgment. Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, write that over to the side. Matthew 25, verse 46, tells us about the two options. Matthew 25, verse 46. These shall go away into everlasting punishment, that being the wicked, but the righteous into life eternal. And so we can finish out our charts tonight with heaven and hell as being the two options for those who are judged. Revelation chapter 20, again, goes along with this and harmonizes with the picture that we've shown with the idea that our body is in the grave, our soul is in Hades, and at the, at the last day, on the day of judgment, we will be raised from the grave and that we will be uh, brought out of Hades. Look in Revelation chapter 20. It's not on this chart, but look at Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 11. Revelation chapter 20, beginning of verse 11, down to the end of chapter, verse 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from, the, uh, from whose face the earth and, he- and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were, which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. Into the lake of fire, this is the second death, and anyone who is not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's that judgment scene, isn't it? And death and Hades, the grave and Hades, give up the dead that are in them. And then death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. There's no more death after this. There's no more Hades. Those things are done away with at the last day, at the, end, at the day of judgment. And so we see the picture of what is to happen. There are some implications that we need to be aware of. For one, I think we need to be careful about the language that we use. 
lot of times we talk about people being in heaven after they die. And someone might talk about uncle so-and-so. Well, he's looking down at heaven smiling because he liked, you know, maybe he liked Tennessee football. And the, and the, and the volunteers won yesterday. And so, oh, Unc uncle Jimmy's he's smiling in heaven. Well, hopefully uncle Jimmy was uh, in a right relationship with God when he died. But if he was, he's not smiling down from heaven, right? This talks about, this shows us what happens when we die. Now, we go to a place that's great and wonderful, and it is accurate to say, as we stand over the, the coffin uh, at the funeral home and we want to comfort someone, we might say, well, you know, we, we believe he's in a better place. Paradise is a better place than here, okay? Just like the, the Lazarus was in a better place after he died. But the scriptures don't say that we go directly to heaven when we die. So we need to be aware of that. That changes some of the songs in our books that, that talk about the, those in, uh, saved being in heaven, waiting on us to get there. They're not there yet according to what the scriptures teach, according to this, this picture. So we need to be aware of that. And then this has to have implications on how we live our life because it is certain that judgment is coming. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? There's coming a day when we're going to have to stand before God. Everything here on earth, everything that we have here on earth, everything we see here on earth is going to be burned up and destroyed. The only thing that is of lasting value is our soul. And we need to be living in preparation for that day. Well, I hope that helps answer some of the, the questions that we had and, uh, and some of the, the desire to know more about what the Bible says, about what happens when we die. Um, and hopefully that chart has been helpful to you. The question for us all to examine then is how are we living our lives? Are we living a life that's been lived in preparation for what comes when this life is over? And if we're not, we need to make a correction to that. If there's anything we can do to help you, we let us know while we stand and while we sing.